0: With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode of Mar Manhood, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout-out to Is This For Real?, which is a podcast about various facets of Black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, host Omar Salifo explores anti-Black racism and policing, and tells stories about policing in schools accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on Black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. It is, again, isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. This episode of Mar Mandate is also brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. So, Taproot publishes a weekly regional roundup, bringing together the latest headlines and happenings in the Edmonton region. It's curated by Stephen Cook, who does a great job of keeping an eye on what's going on in the 15 communities that make up the capital region. So subscribe to the Regional Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. So the last few episodes of Modern Manhood have focused a lot on how young children are. And it's interesting we got to this point in Modern Manhood, talking about kids, because I'm not a father. I have some experience with kids in the sense that I have worked with a lot of parents and therefore have a good understanding of child development. I also have a small niece and a nephew, as you've heard before. And I have never had that full parenting experience. You know, sleepless nights, the constant worrying, those joy-filled moments when you see your child take their first steps or say their first words. You know, I've never felt that. So I knew to make these last few episodes of Modern Manhood, specifically talking about development of a child and how we gender a child. We have to get a lot of voices of parents, people who are excited to be expecting children, were in the midst of parenting themselves. And of course, we had amazing insights. And we got a lot of tape, honestly. So much so that we had to cut a lot of it out for our main episodes. But I knew a lot of it was just too good to never be revealed. So, we're gonna do some of that today. Because there's so much more to the parenting journey than just what we showed you already. So, without further ado, this is The parents of Modern Manhood. By the way, if you haven't done so already, check out the last three episodes of Modern Manhood for our series of How to Be a Man. Also, if you're curious about the news, go check out Coltix as well.
1: So my name is Camilla Merlano and I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. He shared with me that he was separating uh, on his way to divorce and that he had a small child. Um, At first, it didn't really register. I thought it was like a very new thing. He was going to be moving away, but then um, things became quite serious and he started introducing me to his son, Cohen. One of the more
0: interesting conversations that crossed over, actually, when we spoke to a couple of parents was the theme of co-parenting. What it means when you're not the birth parent but you're still one of the major caregivers of that person's life how does your life change how different does your caregiver role See myself look like as
1: a hybrid of parent and friend and um kind of shoulder to cry on so definitely building it's easier for me to build that friendship uh, with cohen because i don't have the parental um frame all the time so he sees me as a friend a kind of co-conspirator Um, But definitely have to balance that with, okay, what am I imparting? What are the boundaries that need to be set?
0: A co-conspirator is a great term to describe what a step-parent is. And this feeling is shared by another one of our parents that we interviewed, Dana, who is a step-parent of two young adults. Dana is an old friend of mine. We go back 20-some years. We met each other in high school. So... For us to reconnect in this way was really special, and I wanted to share what her story was because I found it special as well.
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's challenging in a different way because you're, you know, unlike a baby that's just born and stuck to you, you know, when, when, you're, when you're co-parenting stepkids, you know, you're building a relationship with them um, that sort of starts... from from nothing and it It is also challenging I think um, is certainly in my case I know it's not not always the case but um, you know my stepkids were primarily living with their mother and so we we didn't have them living with us um, you know as often as as they were living with their mom and so I think you know that made it harder in some ways um, to build the bond because you know their dad didn't get as much time with them. So, you know, he was, you know, always trying to play catch up, I think when, when we did have them with us. Um, and, you know, it's hard because, you know, as a, as a stepmom, you, you don't want to get in the way of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you know, you want to be involved and you don't want to feel left out and you want to build this relationship. And so um, it's challenging also because as you see them struggling, you know, going through, their teenage years, which, as we all know, are challenging and difficult, um, you, want to, you want to parent them, you know, you want to help them through that. And because, you know, as, as a stepmom and, and because you're not sort of, you know, the, the, the standard parent in, in their lives, you don't have the same sort of um, influence and sway to be able to say, listen, you can do this, but not that.
0: Camilla shared these challenges as well.
2: Some of
1: the pressures that I, I face, like within this co-conspirator role is navigating two individuals who are co-parenting and are very different and have very different views. Um, there's also a generational gap between my partner and I. So things that he thinks are okay, I sometimes don't. Um, and so it's having that discussion and bringing it to top of mind for him, But it's but it doesn't take away the worries that I feel about cohen and the what he faces day to day and when when he cries or when he gets hurt or when he gets angry I, I feel all of the brunt of the emotions but sometimes they'll have that capital t title um to be able to deal with so even the other day i walked him to school and i realized that i forgot his water bottle but i can't necessarily just walk in because i'm not i'm not on the parent list which right now during COVID is pretty pretty slim down
2: and that's rewarding in a way, but it's also frustrating in a way because, you know, sometimes you don't you don't get to be, you know, involved in, in the really sort of important decisions. But I, I think there's this um, idea in society that, you know, as a stepmom, you're going to, you know, sort of take this role parenting your stepkids and you're going to love them as much as you would love your biological children. And you're going to be, um, you know, their protector and, you know, looking out for them, Um but, you know, the first question is always, you know, do they want you to be that person for them?
1: It feels a little bit lonesome, I would say, because I don't have a lot of friends in the same situation. So to talk about co-parenting or step-parenting or whatever it's being called, it's often um, friends whose parents have divorced and they have dealt with a step-parent. So it's almost them telling me, as a kid, this would have been helpful, which is what I'm trying to bring into the relationship. but. It feels a little bit lonesome.
0: Now, of course, the challenges of step-pairing come with rewards. I mean, that's why we do it. There are ways of finding your own groove with the kids you're helping to mentor.
1: Cohen is turning 10, so I've, I've talked to my partner like... He's gonna start uh, like he could be maybe dating someone. Like, what does that look like, and how how open are you to having those discussions? And it gets shut down pretty quickly. Um, I don't think my partner's at a, um at a level where he's not comfortable like opening up in general. So he's not necessarily like forward thinking to what that may look like. But for me, I'm trying to have those. conversations maybe with friends or um, leaning into different organizations like Next Gen Men to see what that could look like and really trying to educate myself. So if Cohen were ever to come to me and want to have those discussions, it could be a a safe, neutral place for him to have that. I want to give him the tools or at least put them in his radar so he can be the best person that he can be and I, I think he has all of the all of the right things at his at his disposal. It's just how do you how do you protect that and how do you nurture it and how do you how do you not um, replicate the hurt or the the stereotypes or the the obstacles that you yourself went through um, in reaching out for help and, and and helping others.
2: Two or three nights ago, I was having um, a conversation with my stepdaughter, who's 16. Um, and I was telling her about an anti-racism course that I had to take uh, through work. It was a, you know, obligatory anti-racism course. And I started to talk with her about some of the concepts. And, you know, I've always considered myself, you know, really open-minded and accepting. And, you know, we started talking about things like gender identity and sexual orientation and youth and, you know, these sorts of things. And she just... You know amazed me with her open-mindedness and you know even making me realize that you know there are a few areas where i have to you know reconsider my own beliefs and my own thoughts on some of these things and yeah i just had a birthday and they both you know moved me to tears with their thoughtful cards and gifts and words and um and that's that's when you realize you know that this relationship might not have been what you thought it would be at the beginning but it's it's powerful and it's meaningful and um and and it is you know it is absolutely worth it but but you know it's 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 a journey to get there it's it doesn't happen overnight and
0: So in my 9 to 5, I usually have an amazing opportunity to talk to a lot of parents and ask them about their own parenting journey. One of the major concerns I hear a lot from parents about their children is one that Dana mentions here.
2: Yeah, you you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I I am concerned for all of their futures. but you know, I think, and, you know, COVID has definitely brought this more to the the forefront as well. But I I see this with my, my teenage kids that they struggle with anxiety. Um, and I think, you know, a real problem for today's youth is that they face an entire world that's online, social media. And, you know, if you're, dancing then you have to be the best dancer out there you have to be you know a social media star if you're you know singing you have to be the best
0: it's interesting because this online thing this online life it doesn't really stop when you're an adult i mean mommy gram and daddy gram is pretty real like you see this all the time on instagram on tiktok on wherever so that could be a lot of pressure for some parents
3: My name is Erin Dawson Myers. I'm from Calgary, Alberta.
0: Erin, who has her own little boy, was also raised in a religious background, going to church camp, going to church in general. And she found some of those gendered lessons very off-putting.
3: Like, I just remember being told, you know, like you can't show your shoulders, you can't show your cleavage, you can't show your body because of a boy is then, like, tempted, that's your fault. Um, Which, that never sat well with me. That was, like, super messed up to me. I asked one time um, because I was at a place and girls weren't allowed to wear bathing suits without, like, a T-shirt over top. And I was like, so, like, the boys are going around shirtless. Like, they don't have to wear T-shirts. And the leaders were like, no. And I was like, okay, like, Give me a fine piece. Of, like, teenage Aaron is like, there's this fine teenage boy over there with his like abs out, and I am just as tempted as they would be, you know? So, that was always like, they could wear whatever the heck they wanted. Like, they could, yeah, it was just so weird.
0: So, you can see Aaron is great at finding hidden, subtle, and not so subtle messages, and she found out with mommy grimes, you know, Instagrams with mommy hashtags or anything like that, all of which added to the already increasing pressures of uh, being a parent.
3: It's gross. Like it's there's there's so much that is just utter bullshit. Like there's so much that's like because I follow a bunch of moms and stuff. All the suggestions come up and it'll be like, you found the hot mom side of Instagram. No, no, thank you. There's a lot of like, um, it's very Photoshopped fake. Look at my minimalist nursery and my baby matches me and all this stuff. And then there's like, this is the like I'm a hot mess mom, which is like the moms who drink wine all day and are like looking messy. My house is and um, the and so it's like the other side of like, oh, you lose all your freedom when you're a mom and you just have to drink to survive it. Um, so also like kind of a really toxic. It's I'm I just remind myself that it's not real, um like, what you're seeing online is not it's chosen and filtered. And um, like, honestly, the same things that we tell like teenagers when we're talking about social media and stuff is like the same things that I'm telling myself is.
0: Parenting in many different countries, you can say are the same and are very different. They're the same because we all have the same goals, you know, the health and welfare of our children. But they're different because of the different expectations that people have for their children. In the US and Canada, we can say that gendered expectations play a significant role. In Sweden, those expectations look a little bit different.
4: Hi, my name is Lena and I live in Sweden. I would say that there's obviously pressure in society there is obviously like everything from from the colors that you buy um clothes for for kids or you paint their room or um even the type of um feedback you give get girls versus boys and like there's so many things that of course are out there in the world and that aren't always uh very healthy i would say um so i'm sure we'll have Uh, a couple of things to deal with uh, in terms of that. But I I feel like we have a good sense of what we want to do as parents, me and Robin, um, in terms of just offering our kid um, both sides or all sides uh, of it. I think there is also a pressure in Sweden because we're, I would say, a little bit progressive as a country. and we live in Stockholm. We live uh, south of Stockholm. That's pretty like progressive area. There is a lot of like pressure, maybe, to be very um, uh, good at this and and really um, fight <laughs> the norm uh, as much as possible. I'm sure we will have um, kids around us or parents around us that that like to gender gender their kids as they. Uh, from the beginning and and being very strict about it Um, so that might like cause some some discussions and some tension maybe it gets to be almost like this um, I don't know status thing to be as progressive as possible that it's almost like you're just you're just trying to be progressive to be progressive because it's cool or trendy or um, so I think that finding a good balance in how you do it and how it fits into your life um, may be a little bit tricky um, where we live. Um, But also being kind of open to others, like if we choose to do things um, in a different way than the norm, still being like um, really respectful about how other people do things, because I feel like there's a lot of judgment as well if you want to do things differently. Um, in terms of what's norm and I think also have another layer of it being that I have a lot of family in Tanzania um, which is uh, a lot more in in these areas um, or in terms of gender and and homosexuality or any anything that's not norm (laughs) Um, and I think discussion could be very tricky because it's they haven't gotten as far i mean the the president there is or the the former president there he just passed away um basically sent out troops um trying to catch and and kill homosexuals uh not too long ago so it's it's a very different context uh, to be in So say that our daughter turns out to be gay. Um, And that's something we need to talk to our family about. That will be a tricky conversation.
0: Um. These differences in politics and in our community can definitely affect your child because it affects your caregivers and your mentors. Political life can affect a lot of people's daily lives. And your political ideologies will play a significant role in how your child We'll see the world.
5: My name is Nomi safon Hahn, and I live in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Another interesting conversation that we had was given the question, do we even want kids? And Nomi wanted to share her experience of herself, who originally did not want any kids, to someone who desperately wanted to, and the frustration that surrounds that so she gives a little bit of a warning in her own experience.
5: I think I spent my 20s and my, for sure my early teens and then all of my 20s saying I don't want to have children. Culture says you should do this. So she says, wait, you don't have to. Do you want to do this? And also knowing that as I wait longer, the challenges are just going to be harder. Then why wait? I actually want to avoid IVF altogether because I don't like the idea of like it's very, um, I tried getting pregnant and I tried alone and I tried doing it the most natural way because I don't like the idea of invasive medical procedures and I think IVF is like the most invasive you could go, I guess. No, I think people should know. I wish, you know, this is my... I wish somebody on a loudspeaker could tell all my generation, don't wait, don't wait because it's just going to get harder. And also start tracking your fertility today, even if you want to have a baby in three years. And a lot of people are facing uh, difficulty getting pregnant and infertility issues, and nobody really talks about it until you experience it yourself yeah, okay, I can maybe have an adopted relationship with a child if I adopt, but also f- having the physical experience of something growing inside me and coming out and the, the physicality of that act, but also then the relationship that that entails later. It's good, it's bad, it's challenging, it's frustrating, it's unpredictable, it's life and it's complicated. And that's actually what makes it exciting, right? Because it is this kind of... un. Uncharted territory. It's like I don't, I don't know. It's an experience, and it's everything that experiences have—the good, the bad. You know, hopefully they're healthy.
0: One of the ways to have a child is through surrogacy, which is what Matt and Chad did from British Columbia. Who are you going to hear from next? Surrogacy is when you're using a sperm from a biological father and having a mother that carries that child. So this is one of the few ways in which gay couples can have children. And through this conversation, it was amazing to hear how their viewpoint
6: was not only familiar, but unique. Coming out as a a young teen, I lamented the notion of being a father. And that was probably one of the most challenging pieces for me, was facing the fact at the time. So this was in the like 90s. uh, the idea of a gay man becoming a parent was not something that was really discussed. At that time, it was, you're going to get AIDS. And, and so there was a fear for your life, let alone the notion of uh, being excited about a future. And I worked through that as, as a youngster. But I as I grew older and times changed, I I realized that there was a possibility that as a gay man, you can be a parent. Uh, and lo and behold, here we are. It's eight years later. Uh, we have a a six-month-old. And, you know, like I got to say, meeting this man, Matt Corker, uh, who is all about setting goals, um, he saw that that was a goal of mine, and it was a goal of his as well. So, you know, we embarked on our journey as a couple with the knowledge that we were going to try to be parents.
7: So originally it was, well, do we want to adopt? Do we want to look at surrogacy? Do we want to look at fostering? Do we want to look at all the different ways that you could become a parent? And um, once we started making choices, then new decisions would need to be made. Okay, if we're going to go surrogacy, do we want to Do it with people that we know? Do we want the DNA to be known? Do we want it to, do we want to use an agency and have that support? And there were all these decision factors along the way. And I think one of the things that kept us grounded was really just facing one decision at a time, rather than going, getting ahead of ourselves and imagining, you know, what's it gonna be like as a parent? um, It was more, okay, let's get an egg donor first and talk about what's important in an egg donor what that process wants to look like for us and then we'll we'll take each thing as it comes and that's really helped us in our parenting as well because we're not envisioning a a 13 year old and worrying about what a teenager is going to be like like we have a six month old so we worry about a six month old and what's relevant and important now uh,
6: if i had to describe matt and i worry isn't a word that we would use um, we are have been Intentional is such a powerful word for us because nothing nothing is by accident. And I'm lucky enough to say that uh, I've learned that as long as I have Matt by my side, I can pretty much get through anything. Um, Our first son was born with a congenital heart defect, which was a surprise. He survived four months with a missing heart valve and basically went into massive heart failure on New Year's Day of 2021. And we started the new year with him in on death's door, essentially and if there's ever a an opportunity to begin to worry, we were given one. Um, however, I've learned that you know you worry about things that you can control or things that you're you're not again not being intentional about or things that you know you could change and have chosen not to, and that's not really how we roll uh, I think that I want to welcome our child into a world that is full of promise and love and excitement. I think that being a gay man we're already bending the the social norms. And one one thing that I've always sort of really enjoyed is the fact that there isn't a social norm for us as gay a gay married couple. Um we sort of circumnavigate a lot of the understood pressures that a heteronormative, cisgendered, married couple would endure. So we get to write our own script in a lot of ways, which is very freeing. So like all parents, Matt and
0: Chad had a vision of their life with a child. And of course, a curiosity of where those expectations are going to go.
6: I see a version of the future where you know i get a phone call from the school because our kid got up and like taught sex ed and told the teacher to like stop being so weird and cagey about it and just like call it like it is that'd be my best dream um because i think that it's just like societally we've made it so awkward and weird and i mean said with all the love but my parents did not equip me Mom and Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but it's you. You I, when I think back about how much I was left to figure out on my own and how wrong I was, um, I just don't want that. And it doesn't need to be weird. And I'm gonna do everything that I can to not pass on the like truckload of baggage I have around my own sex, sexuality, identity, gender, all those things. Like all of us, like all the people
0: we interviewed, they're ready to break this cycle. You know, break the cycle of conformity, break the cycle of expectations, the cycle of trauma. They realize how important parenthood is. Everyone we interviewed had the same thought and idea. How do we do better than what was given to me before? How do we prepare ourselves to join in that child's world when they're frightened, anxious, sad and alone and we wish to be there when they're happy excited and joyful or at least you know tell us when they are it was a privilege to talk to these parents throughout our conversations for these episodes and it was a privilege to talk to them throughout the world and it makes me feel hopeful for the children of our future Mar Manhood is created by Herman Villegas, Ramoy Phillip, Samantha Nsezi, and Danny Perez. With support from Next Gen Men and the Next Gen Men Circle, as well as the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. Logos were created by Arcade Studio in Calgary, Alberta, and social media is helped out by Amanda Wang from Next Gen Men. Join us next time as we ask, how much are boys learning about sexuality?